Good morning, afternoon, or evening. My name is Lisa M. Griffith. I'm so thankful that you're here for this episode of You Know What? Let's dive right in. Today, I want to focus on spiritual warfare as usual, but we're going to take a little different approach to that, and we're going to talk about the end of times. Now, I am not a theologian, and I'm not about to pretend that I know everything about Revelation and how to interpret it, because I don't. And I'm sure there are many people who are a lot more educated and invested in this topic than I. I know there are. But I'm going to do the best I can to, I guess, interpret scripture for you today. To talk to you about the end of times, what we can expect during the end of times, what the Bible says about the end of times, and what the Bible says about Satan versus Jesus and God during the end of times. Okay, and so I just want you to track with me here because this is going to be my best Uh, God-given interpretation of the scripture, and I'm going to try to keep it simplistic. So um, track with me here and let me know your thoughts at the end. So there are two specific events that we want to focus on when we say the end of times. And if you're not sure what the end of times means, it basically refers to what Christians believe is the end of the physical world that we live in. Now, Revelation does say that at the end of the physical world that we live in, um, God creates a new heaven and a new earth. So we as Christians believe that... When this world ends, God will create a new heaven and a new earth, and we will reside with the Savior for eternity. That being said, there has to be an opposite to that, right? And so the opposite to that is what is referred to as hell. And hell was created for the devil and his demons. Um, That's a whole nother podcast in itself, but hell was not initially created for mankind. Um, And like I said, we can get it. That's a whole nother, a whole nother topic. But today I want to focus on two different events when we talk about the end times. So the end times refers to, like I said, the end of the physical world. And we talk about something called the tribulation and we talk about something called the rapture. Okay, so first we're going to dive into the rapture. Now, there are two different theories about the rapture. If you are a pre-tribulation rapture believer, then you believe that the rapture happens before the seven years of tribulation. So you believe that Jesus comes back and he takes his kingdom his, his people to go be with him, and then the seven years of tribulation start. If you are a post-tribulation believer, you believe that the rapture happens after the seven years of tribulation. Either way, the rapture can be defined as the moment that Jesus comes back to gather his church. Now, if you are a pre-tribulation a believer, meaning that you believe Jesus comes to earth, gathers his people, and then ascends into heaven and the tribulation begins. 
There's also a belief that says um, that certain people will be left here on earth. Certain Christians, let me, let me rephrase that. Certain Christians will be left here on earth during the tribulation. So you may hear of these different theories. Um, I personally, I I don't know. I'm going to be straight up honest with you. I I don't know how this is all going to play out. I know that in, in my opinion, Uh, which doesn't really account for anything if it's not backed up by the word of God. In my opinion, I believe there will be Christians here on earth during the tribulation to proclaim the word of God, whether that is pre or post rapture. I don't know, but I do believe there will be Christians on earth during the tribulation. Okay, so before I dive into some scripture from Revelation, I want to kind of give you a foundation for understanding this because it's very hard to understand. But John, who was one of Jesus's followers in the New Testament, was banished to an island by Rome. Okay, they tried to martyr him and he survived. So they actually banished him to the island of Patmos. And it's here on this island of Patmos that John is given a revelation from Christ of all of these things. And that's why it's called the book of Revelation. Now, we should also keep in mind that John was the only disciple that wasn't martyred for his faith. Every other disciple was martyred, crucified, beheaded. But John actually was banished to this island basically to die. And it's here at this point that God still uses John. So we are told that this happened approximately in AD 95. Okay, he's on the island of Patmos and he is writing the book of Revelation to these seven churches in Asia who are believers and they are actually being persecuted right now. Okay, under um, under their emperor who is is said to being persecuting them. I actually get all this information. Let me tell you where I get all this information, because I have a Bible that is rather amazing and it tells you the backstory behind all these different books so you don't have to go searching for all this information it's called the life application study bible zonderfan actually publishes it it's a tyndale house publishers incorporated um, version and i've had this for uh probably a couple years and the one i had before this Bible um, was also a life application Bible. So I really like them. If you were on the search for a Bible, I would highly recommend the life application Bible. Okay, so I'm just going to kind of read some of the opening verses of Revelation. So this is in Revelation 1, it's verse 9, and it's John writing. And so it says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. So we can see here that 
John um, is not only hearing the voice of God, he's seeing things. Okay, he is literally having visions. I also need to point out that an angel was sent from God to John on the island to show him these visions and to reveal these things to him from the Lord. So this was all happening through a messenger of Jesus. Now to talk about the end of times and birthing pains, we're actually going to go all the way back to Matthew. And in Matthew 24, Jesus talks about some of these things that are going to happen before he comes back. Okay, so I'm in Matthew 24, 4, and this is kind of going to be a longer uh, segment than I usually do. Um, And so just kind of bear with me. Matthew 24, 4 says, Jesus answered. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah, but will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. So what is basically occurring is Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives and the disciples come to him and they say, when will all these things happen that you've been talking about? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Okay. And that's in Matthew 24, three. So They have approached Jesus and they're asking him this question. And usually when Jesus tried to explain stuff to people, he used physical examples. Okay, so he is comparing the end of the age to a woman giving birth. And he's saying, when you start seeing these things, these are called birthing pains, kind of like contractions. Okay, and then the actual delivery of the child Um, is the physical significance of the coming of Christ. And so he's giving them a physical, tangible example that they can relate to, to understand him. And Jesus did that a lot. And he still does that today with us. Even though he's not physically here on earth in a physical body, he still gives us physical examples to help us understand his teachings. And then he goes into a different part of the end of times. And this part is pretty uncomfortable to talk about because it's what happens to Christians. Okay. And so in Matthew 24, nine, he says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And we're going to pick up in verse 22. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. It says, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, 
those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So we can see here, this is why some people are post-tribulation believers is because Jesus says, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But there's also evidence that people have used for pre-tribulation you know, so that's not really what I'm trying to get at here. But the point is, is that Jesus gives them specific occurrences, right? He doesn't just say, well, at the end of times, things will get hard. That's not what he says. I mean, he's giving them specific things, earthquakes, people turning against people, nations turning against nations, false prophets rising up to deceive even the elect. The word elect there means very devout believers, people who know Jesus. These are Christians. These are not unbelievers. He's saying there will be false prophets that are able to deceive even the Christian community because they're that manipulative. And so Jesus is really trying to warn them. This is a warning. It's not only him giving information, it's him warning them. Okay, so let's go back to Revelation and let's discuss more about Satan's role in all of this. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. It says, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So there's a lot of stipulation around the a thousand years they're talking about and the battle of Armageddon. And, and there's a lot of things that you've probably heard about. I am not going to, like I said, even pretend to understand what that means. But we can see here that Satan ultimately is defeated. He is defeated. Evil does not win in the end. The battle that we're fighting right now, even though it has already been won in the end, the battle that we're fighting is souls. Right now here on earth, we are proclaiming that Christ is king because we want souls to be redeemed because in Revelation 20 11 through 15 you actually read about the judgment of the dead and that is a very scary scary segment of scripture the book of Revelation not only points to Jesus being a loving God it points to him also being the ultimate judge and I think that's why a lot of people stay clear of it, not only because it's confusing, but because it's pretty radical. 
Jesus is seen as the ultimate judge that he is in the book of Revelation. There's kind of a saying that we have, we say only God can judge me, right? Everybody says that and, you know, it's kind of a common saying. But if you think about it, that saying is kind of terrifying. That a pure, almighty, omnipotent God who created the heavens and the earth has the right and the power and the knowledge to judge every single human being. Even though I know where my destiny lies, that's, that puts the fear of God in me, literally. And it should. It should. Saying only God can judge me should put the fear of God in you. Because that is saying that an almighty God has the right, being who he is, being holy, being pure, has the right to look at my life and to tell me what's wrong with it. And he does that often with me. The Holy Spirit often comes to me and says, Lisa, what are you doing? (laughs) I encounter that over and over. And so the book of Revelation, like I said, is not only confusing, it's also very radical, but it does show us that in the end, Jesus prevails. And in Revelation 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Verse 5 He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Verse 6, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. I also want to point out in Revelation 7, 9, it says, And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And I also want to point out that this is a global family of God. This is a global family. He is the God of Kenya. He is the God of China. 
God is the one true supreme king. And even though John sees the differences in these people, he sees their different races. He sees the different cultures represented. And he sees that this makes them beautiful. That that is what makes them individuals. And that is what makes them beautiful. That they are all gathering before the king and worshiping the Lamb of God. So I know this is a lot to take in and I want to stop this episode here because I don't want to overwhelm you with information. I know this is very confusing. I mean, this, this, honestly, I have to go back and reread several times. And even if I reread it, there are still things that I'm sitting there like, I have no clue what this is talking about. And that's okay. I want you to know that it's okay to not understand what you're reading. It's okay to pray and say, Lord, what does this mean? Please show me through the Holy Spirit what this means. I don't understand this. It's okay to admit that. It's okay to go to someone and say, hey, I don't understand what this is saying. I've had to do that several times. I'll call my grandma and or my dad or, you know, and I'll be like, I don't understand what this verse means. Can you explain this to me? And it's okay to do that. I want you to know that even the most, I, I use the word seasoned, but we're all equal in the kingdom of Christ. I'm just saying that people who've been Christians for a long time and who have studied the Bible, they have to ask questions, right? That's the whole basis of Christianity is asking questions like, why are we here? Who is Jesus? Why did he die for us? Right? Without asking those questions, we can't get those answers and come to the faith that we need to in Christ Jesus. And so it is okay to ask questions. It is okay to seek out answers in the Word of God and to ask questions, even hard questions, confusing questions. It's okay. I want to thank you so much for joining me and for bearing through these past couple of minutes. I know that this has been really deep, but I really feel such a burden from Christ to speak on spiritual warfare and understanding what we will experience during the end of times is a huge part of spiritual warfare. And so the main message that I want to get out through this podcast today is that Christ is victorious, Satan is not, and while we're here on this earth, let's preach that message that Christ is victorious. There is a home that we have awaiting us for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's call people to redemption. Let's call people to be redeemed. Let's preach the good news of Jesus and preach that he loves them and that he died for their sin. Let's tell people because our whole basis of the gospel is built on the redemption of souls. Jesus did not rise from the dead that we may stay in our sin. He rose from the dead so that we may rise as well and be victorious. So I hope that you have a good day. I hope that Jesus gives you things in your day to day that you can be thankful for. And know that Jesus loves you.